How does a farm boy from rural Iowa grow up to become one of the most powerful senators in the country? My name is Faz Zuffer, and this is Profiles in Excellence, a podcast brought to you by the Harvard College Podcast Network. Every Sunday, we feature successful individuals from politics, entertainment, sports, and more. From the journey of an Olympic gold medalist to the rise of one of America's most prominent economists, each episode will offer a glimpse at the world through the stories and perspectives of its most inspiring figures. For the next 20 minutes, join us. Today's guest is United States Senator and President Pro Tempore Emeritus, Charles Grassley. I first met Senator Charles Grassley in October 2009. At the time, my family was hosting former Pakistani President Pervez Musharraf at our home in Iowa, where the state's dignitaries and Pakistani community had gathered to meet the former head of state. I was eight years old when I first met the senator that day. When I interviewed the now 87-year-old senator in April of this year, I reminded him of the event with President Musharraf. Please note that our interview has been edited for the purpose of concision. You're kidding. What did you and I do together when you were, uh, before you were a teenager? Well, uh, I don't know if you'll recall this, sir, but this was uh, October 2009. Uh, my family was hosting uh, Pakistani President Pervez Musharraf at our home in Clive. Oh, and yes, I remember that. Yes, yes. Yeah. We had uh, Governor Branstad. Uh, I think Senator Harkin was also there. So I remember you on our porch coming into our home. I was, you know, much smaller back then, but, you know, it's yeah. still a very vivid memory. I was glad to meet him. Yes, yes. I think this was maybe one year after he had left office. Too bad he hasn't been received more friendly at home. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. In a separate conversation, Senator Grassley would remind me of an exchange we'd had that day in 2009 that I myself had nearly forgotten. Then again, the senator's ability to recall conversations with individuals from decades past has only upheld his popularity among Iowans as a down-to-earth senator. Charles Grassley was born in New Hartford, Iowa in 1933. His father, Lewis, was a farmer, while his mother, Ruth, was among the first women in the state of Iowa to cast a vote after the ratification of the 19th Amendment. Now, you grew up on a farm, and in your youth you worked in factories and even at a local college in Iowa. At present, you're one of two active farmers serving in the U.S. Senate. Now, in the eyes of most Americans, this kind of background deviates from, I think, the typical model that they associate with other politicians. So would you mind sharing what drew you to the political realm? Well, what brought me to politics was a mother and father that weren't politically active, but they were always talking government and history. But I think that uh, you're uh, labeling me as a farmer is very appropriate because I'm still involved in the farming operation, although my son, Robin, and my grandson, Patrick, who's also Speaker of the Iowa House, uh, do uh, most of the work. And sometimes I'd have to say they do all the work. But uh, I think I would like to see myself, uh, as, as opposed to you using the elite Ivy League sort of terminology. I'm just representing the average American, uh, the average farmer, the average factory worker, the average teacher, and I participated in all those things. When I went to the University of Northern Iowa, I worked uh, six or six and a half years at Rathpacking Company in Waterloo, 
to uh, earn money to uh, finish a BA and MA at University of Northern Iowa. And then uh, after I was elected to the legislature, my dad died. I had to farm an 80-acre farm. So since uh, the legislature then only worked every other year, and we only got $3,000 every other year, and income from an 80-acre farm wasn't, I supplemented my income 10 years when the legislature wasn't in session to work on an assembly line, putting screw holes and furnace registers in a factory in Cedar Falls. And I was also a member of the International Association of Machinists. And then I did some night teaching for Drake University one semester and Charles City College another semester. So that's kind of what I did until I got bought some more farmland and could support myself farming. And the legislature became an annual affair, et cetera, et cetera, until I was elected to Congress. And being in Congress is a full-time job. You don't have much to do with all the other things you used to do. In 1974, despite fallout against the Republican Party after the resignation of Richard Nixon, Charles Grassley was narrowly elected to the United States House of Representatives, where he represented Iowa's 3rd Congressional District for three terms. In 1980, he was elected to the United States Senate after defeating incumbent Senator John Culver and has represented Iowa within the upper chamber of Congress ever since. In the 46 years he has spent combined in both the House and Senate, Charles Grassley has served amid nine presidential administrations, those of Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and now Joe Biden. Across your tenure, with which president did you have the strongest relationship? George W. Bush, I believe, although I probably attended White House meetings more under President Trump, but I think President George W. Bush, um, uh, he probably wouldn't rank with uh, President Reagan as a person I think is the best president, but George W. Bush was pretty much like we Iowans are, very open, very friendly, uh, very uh, uh, you could carry on a conversation with him. Uh, he was interested in you personally, and he was uh, interested in talking about himself personally. Across the senator's 40-year tenure, he has served as chair of the Senate Finance Committee, the Senate Narcotics Caucus, the Senate Aging Committee, and the Senate Judiciary. On the Finance Committee, the senator directed investigations into the potential waste or misuse of tax dollars. While in 2018, Senator Grassley was chairman of the Judiciary Committee that oversaw the controversial nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. After the retirement of Orrin Hatch in 2019, Senator Grassley would become the President Pro Tempore of the United States Senate, placing him third in the presidential line of succession. It was during one of his final acts within this role, on January 6th of this year, that Senator Grassley found himself evacuated from the Senate floor alongside former Vice President Mike Pence amid the storming of the United States Capitol. Now, Senator, it's, it's no secret that America's partisan divide has grown increasingly prevalent in recent years. And we've definitely seen a lot of the ugliness on our social media timelines translate to actual violence across the country. And I know that this hit very close to home for you back in January, as you had to be escorted from the Senate chamber amid the storming of the Capitol. In, in your view, what needs to be done at a national level or even at an individual level for Americans to heal the divide that we can no longer ignore? Well, the extent to which senators 
can show leadership just working in a bipartisan way. And the as long as we have the 60-vote margin in the United States Senate, it's the only place in our political system that forces bipartisanship. So maintaining the institution uh, and the extraordinary majority it takes to get things done, since one party never has an absolute majority of 60 like they do in the House where major, majority rules, I think keeping that is very, very important. When it comes to bipartisanship, the more than 40 years Senator Grassley has spent in the United States Congress have helped position him among the country's more bipartisan senators. In a bipartisan index by the McCourt School of Public Policy at Georgetown University and by the Luger Center, an assessment of 250 senators from 1993 to 2018 ranked Senator Grassley 14th. I would hope that my personal example would be a good example, but since I'm talking to maybe people at Harvard University or any university, large or small, in the United States, I think uh, one of the problems that we have uh, from people that are uh, in college or with universities or even uh, people that never go to college, there's a lack of civility uh, in uh, our society as a whole that uh, shouldn't be there, but it's there, and for reasons that we won't go into because of the shortness of your interview, but uh, it, they're reflected in Congress because Congress is a representative body. Anyway, the practice of uh, uh, some universities not wanting controversial speakers to be on campus, I think shows, uh, it detracts from the purpose of a university which I would say my definition of a university is where controversy ought to run rampant. And if it does, then that's listening to all points of view, being civil in listening people's point of view, whether you agree with them or not, and not locking some people out. So I think universities have a good opportunity to show civility. And if I had a standard of that civility, it would be the Chicago standard that where a letter goes out from the president uh, regularly uh, to new students saying, uh, don't come here if you think you gotta be protected from certain uh, controversial issues. And, uh, and uh, that I think would help civility. In other words, universities are well respected. The extent to which they open themselves up to all points of view would be one way of enhancing civility in our American society. Though the senator turns 88 in September, his efforts to communicate and connect with constituents rival the youngest members of Congress. Each year, Senator Grassley embarks on the 99 Counties Tour, in which he meets Iowans from all 99 counties in Iowa. Among presidential candidates from both parties who frequent the state amid the Iowa caucus, completion of this tour is known as a full Grassley. The senator's prolific use of social media to communicate with constituents, particularly on Twitter and Instagram, has helped distinguish him from his colleagues. His posts often serve as updates on legislative activity and are almost always typed in shorthand by Senator Grassley himself. Among his most popular tweets unrelated to legislative work are those in which the senator critiques the History Channel for what he deems its lack of programming on actual history. I asked him about his social media use. Well, I'm fortunate enough to have staff over the 40 years I've been in the United States Senate that's very forward-looking, and one of the principles I have is maximum communication with my constituency. you got to know what's on people's mind. 
So it may sound old-fashioned to say maybe I was one of the first ones in the United States Senate to use a fax machine to to correspond with my constituents or to have uh, satellite feeds back to Iowa Public Television for a half-hour news conference once a month. But social media just grows on that, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, or uh, Instagram. And I do, uh, I do my Twitter and my Instagram personally. I'm personally involved in all of that. A lot of it I even type out when I'm not a very good typer myself. Uh, my staff does Facebook. But all of this is just the latest efforts to sometimes raise controversial issues, sometimes just to have fun with the History Channel, uh, sometimes uh, uh, to uh, just compliment people. Or over the weekend, uh, uh, the sad news of an Iowa Highway Patrolman being murdered, uh, sending condolences to their family, things of that nature. So it's just uh, social media is nothing but the the latest development of it, and I do it uh, to uh, do the things I just said, but most often to uh, keep issues before people, uh, encourage feedback, and uh, and uh, just to make the process of representative government work. Would you mind also sharing, sir, how did the entire uh, uh, feud with the History Channel begin? Where did that come from? Because that's be- that's become very yeah. uh, known on the internet. Well, are you are you acquainted with pawn shop? And the axe man, and uh, and all that stuff. What does that really have to do with history? They ought to each either change their name. But once in a while, I'm able to compliment them. I go to the History Channel maybe once or twice every weekend, and sometimes I run into history. And I say, "Quick, you better get on your uh, History Channel if you want to hear see some history." Uh, <laughs> I think they they've really digressed a lot from when I used to see World War II battles fought all the time and described uh, when it first came on, and then it went extreme other way. I think they're having a little more history now, but not enough to satisfy me. As my time with Senator Grassley came to an end, we discussed the future of both the GOP and of his own political career. Well, uh, you know, Senator, you're nearing the end of your seventh term in the Senate. And by all accounts, you've had an extremely favorable uh, electoral history. I actually took a look back at the numbers over the years, and it's clear that you've performed substantially better than Republican presidential candidates in Iowa in years where a Senate election year has crossed paths with a presidential election year. Now, you've said that you still maintain the physical and mental fitness to effectively serve as a senator. Would you mind sharing your plans for the 2022 Senate election in Iowa? Well, if you want me to announce whether I'm running for re-election or not, I can't do that at this point because I've been telling all the journalists and the people of Iowa that I'm not going to make up my mind until September, October, November. And I would imagine October would be the ideal time to do it one year before the election. So I won't be able to do that. But in the meantime, I've got to work hard to represent the people of Iowa. So I'm still not missing a vote. I still, uh, I should say not missing a vote, except when I had COVID. And then I broke a 27-year streak of casting 8,927 votes without missing a vote. And then doing the 99-county tour and all that sort of stuff, I just uh, uh, enjoy my work. That doesn't signal a yes or no running for re-election. This essentially brings me to my next question, which is, 
as you've said, you held a 27-year record of not missing a vote until uh, until you had the coronavirus just this past year, and we're all very, very glad that you are feeling much better, sir. Uh, you know, with your 99-county tour that's known as a full grassley among presidential candidates, you seem to be doing everything right as it comes to connecting with constituents. Uh, you just referenced social media as well as another channel through which you're able to connect with Iowans. And Iowans definitely uh, have reciprocated that kind of connection in, in past election years. Why do you think you've been so successful at achieving that kind of connection where maybe other senators uh, haven't in, in other states across the country? Well, it's a lesson I learned when I first came to the United States Senate, in four to six years, 50% of the Senate turned over, and it even turned over big time in the 18 election, or 80 election. There were 18 new senators, 16 of them Republican when I came in. We never thought we'd ever be in the majority again as Republicans. And I was in the minority of 141 when I went to the Congress in 75, we eventually got that up to about 170, but it was another uh, 15 years before Republicans broke a 40-year drought of being in the minority in the House of Representatives, so I expect to be in the minority in the, in the, in the Senate when I came here. All of a sudden, I was in the majority. Uh, Republicans didn't even know how to act in the majority. And anyway, to, getting back to answering your question, uh, we we knew as House members that we had to be constantly campaigning. So when I went to the United States Senate, I decided, seeing what happens in the Senate, they all forget that they're representatives of their constituents until the fifth or sixth day. So I think that, uh, you know, you get the idea that Washington's an island surrounded by reality. Uh, and uh, and the real world is out there in flyover country where you and I were brought up, and uh, and just uh, going to the 99 counties every year is not the only way to show that you haven't gotten Potomac fever, but that you uh, it's 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 one very important way of doing it. So for 40 years, I've held meetings, and uh, and when I say meetings, these are Q and A's where my constituents set the agenda. I uh, meet with them, and uh, and like, uh, let's see, we had two-week recess for Easter. We went to 12 counties in southwest Iowa, 12 counties in northwest Iowa, so I've been in 46 counties so far this year, and I always tell them why I'm there, because uh, you can't represent people if you don't know what's on their minds. But I also remind them that they need to keep in touch with me when they don't see me face-to-face by emailing me. And I said, you ought to expect an answer uh, because uh, if you write to me, then two-way communication, I got to give you an answer. So that's what we have done to, to make sure that the people of Iowa don't know that I've forgotten my roots. You know, there's no debate, sir, that you are one of the most tenured and respected members of the Republican Party. And for that reason, I can't think of anyone more appropriate to answer this question. What do you think the future of the GOP will look like. Uh, after President Trump's loss this past November, his influence and the new era that I think he really created still appears to carry a lot of weight within the party. Do you think that the GOP has crossed a point of no return that is irrevocably changed? Or do you think that in time, it will revert back to its appearance in, say, 2014, 2015? Yeah. 
I have to say, I think it's going to return, but I don't think it's as far removed as your question might imply, because I already made reference to going to Congress as the only Republican from Iowa in 1975 when we had six or seven Democrats representing us here. The House, the Senate had both senators. I was the only House member that was a Republican. And then we only had 140 or 141 Republicans at that time. Uh, we thought the Republican Party was dead. But six years later, we had a Republican president. I was in the majority in the United States Senate, and I was in the majority for the next six years. And I haven't been very much in the minority since I've been in the Senate. Um, and so I think you got to realize that uh, we did declare the Republican Party dead in 1975 because of Nixon's resignation uh, and uh, Carter being elected and uh, things like that. So then I think you got to realize that Trump still is a, has a very strong voice within the Republican Party, but that almost implies that our party is going to change from the top down, if it changes at all, and presumably with him, it's not going to, uh, wouldn't change much. I think that's implied in your question, but I think you got to remember the party is from the grassroots up and uh, not from the top down. So it's obviously now not from Trump down any more than it would have been from George W. Bush down after Obama was elected, or the o or Democratic Party isn't the party of Obama as recently as that's been. And so these parties are always evolving. And I think that the next four years, the nominee is going to be uh, strong and uh, and, uh, and and then you got to remember also we we put the emphasis upon Trump, but you just got to say that Republicans uh, 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 just flipped so many House seats as an example in 2020 that the Republican Party is still very strong at the grassroots. In 100 years, how would you like to be remembered? Well. I don't spend much time worried about what I'd like to, how I'd like to be remembered, and I think you got to let other people make that determination. But I think that my work of constitutional oversight would stand out. Uh, I think that my work on uh, government spending would would uh, would stand out, and I think. Uh, what I do to make the process of representative government work by going to the 99 counties every year, and the term full Grassley is going to be around a long time after I die. And But those are pretty insignificant things, and I'm not sure I'll ever be remembered for any one great big thing. I just want to be known on my tombstone as being a good public servant. Regardless of the senator's final decision on the 2022 elections, his career achievements have truly distinguished him among his peers in Congress. From a nonpartisan lens, they are to be admired, and are why Charles Grassley is a profile in excellence. <laughs>